We're beginning a new sermon series today on a life of joy. We've um, been in God's Word since um, February. Well, we've been in God's Word since 1929 when we started. Um, But just saying that um, a few of our series that we've looked at, um, A Life of Rest, and then we've looked at A Life of Love, and now we're going to look at A Life of Joy. And so we're going to be studying the book of Philippians. So rather than jumping around in our Bibles for the next number of weeks, we're going to be going um, verse by verse and section by section through the book of Philippians. And I think that's on 1822 in the Bible in your seat. Philippians, it's just a short little book. If you're not real familiar with the Bible, sometimes you have to strum through or remember there's that table of contents in the front of your Bible as well. So um, a life of joy. And, um, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that it would be a lamp to our feet, that you would um, bless the meditations of my heart and mind, that you would anoint my words in presentation, that you would anoint our ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us. And, Lord, help us to have hearts that are soft and eager to respond to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is good for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word for us this morning. There's a song that I woke up to the other morning. It was kind of just going through my head as I woke up. Pharrell Williams' song is called Happy. If you've ever watched the music video, um, I'm not going to sing it to you this morning, nor am I going to play it. But um, his his music video on happiness it's um, it starts it's just such an upbeat kind of little tune that's catchy and um, kind of clappy and it's a perfect summer um, kind of happy song it seems like to me um, because I'm happy clap along if you feel like a room without a roof because I'm happy clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And it just goes on, and it's just got this great, catchy little tune. It's had 951, over 951 million views. 
I mean, sometimes I post something and maybe I get 85 likes or something like that. Like, I think that the world is looking for happiness. And deeper than that, I think they're looking for joy. So many of my um, pastoral care visits kind of in some way, shape, or form are kind of boiled down to how do I live this life of joy? This situation's come up. It's really shaken my um, foundations a bit. Um, I got this diagnosis. How do I live with that? This circumstance is going on in my family, and um, it's just really a joy robber. How do we live a life of joy? And so God's word has much to tell us this morning. And um, in this book alone, the word joy is used 16 times in this little four-chapter book. It's more than a mood or an emotion. Um, as I was reading, you know, I'm thinking joy, you know, kind of, kind of the cheerful happiness but settled. Uh, reading a commentary and it said, you know, for a discussion of joy, look at the hundred and some pages written by somebody on what this word joy means. So there's a lot that can be said about um, the word joy, but it's a settled state of mind characterized by peace. A settled state of mind characterized by peace. Another way that we could look at joy, it's a confident way of looking at life, seeing beyond the circumstances, and looking to the one who's on the throne. It gives us joy, uh, optimistic peace, when we know that there is something bigger than our problems or that thing that's shaken our cage this week. Paul writes the book of Philippians, and it's been called his happy letter from jail, his happy letter. He knows about living a life of joy, and he begins to teach us all as we look at this introduction to his book. And so we're going to look kind of section by section, and so the first section is these first couple of verses called the greeting. And this really lays out the grounds of joy. A letter in those days, you know, if we write a letter, it might say, Dear John, hello. That might be the way we would start a letter these days. If anybody writes letters anymore, oftentimes now we just seem to be doing more emailing. But um, in ancient times, the standard was to say who it's from, who it's to, and then the common um, greeting was Karen, which means greetings, with exclamation point, greetings. Well, Um, There was a philosopher in in that ancient time. His values were pleasure, and so he opened his letters with the words, live well, exclamation point. So, like, live fun, live to pursue pleasure. That was his greeting. Well, how does Paul start this? He starts this with the words grace and peace. He did a little wordplay. Instead of karin in the Greek, he did charis. Grace, grace. And then he added the word, the greeting, peace, which is a Jewish, a typical Jewish greeting from that time. So grace and peace. He lays out right ahead, how is, what are his values? How is he greeting people? He's greeting people in Christ. He's the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the peace, the peace of God. How do we have peace with God? It has to be through Jesus. 
And so right away, the grounds of our joy is how he greets us with the grace of Christ and being able to be reconciled in peace with the Lord. Grace and peace. Then he says who it's from. It's from Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. They're servants. Now, that's not typically maybe a vocation that you think, well, that's the most joyful vocation, not vacation, vocation on earth is to be a servant. But actually, in the Old Testament, that was a very noble calling was to be a servant of God, that people would highly respect that because they had such purpose to serve God. This person, their job is to serve God's purposes on earth, and it brings great joy. And so he defines himself and Timothy as servants. And then he addresses it to all the saints. Well, what is a saint? Some of us have grown up in a tradition where there was a denomination that um, determined that certain people did excellently, and they were put into sainthood. Well, actually, this is not what um, Paul is saying. He's saying to all the saints, each person, not because of what you've done, but actually because of who you are. Saints are the holy ones. They're consecrated. Do you remember what the word consecrated? In the Old Testament, things were consecrated that were going to be used, like we would have a baptismal font here that would be consecrated to the Lord, or we pray a prayer of consecration when we do the Lord's Supper. These Bread and this juice is set apart for God's purposes. Well, in the Old Testament, certain things like for the um, altars for the sacrifices and so forth were set apart for God's purposes. He's saying, we are saints, you are saints, because you're set apart and holy for God's purposes on earth. So each of you are saints. Not You will live into that and your lives will look different. But you don't get this title of saint because of what you've already done, but because God called you and set you apart. All right. The grounds of life for joy begins with being a chosen child of God, one who receives grace, which is God's unmerited favor, and peace because we're living in relationship with the Lord. He lays out our identity, and then he says, this is really what it is to be a Christian. In just this short little greeting, you can actually say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a called out, one in relationship, one that's been set apart with purpose to serve the Lord. And this leads, when we're living into our identity in Christ, it leads us to a life of joy. All right, now we go to this section, and our little heading would say, Thanksgiving and Prayer. I found this quote, it's not happy people who are thankful, it is thankful people who are happy. We might even say it's thankful people who are joyful. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi because they had given a gift. They had sent some funds to help support his ministry. He's writing a letter of thanks. But check it out. Who does he thank? He thanks God. He thanks God. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers, and I thank him for the partnership in the gospel. And so rather than saying, hey, Church of Philippi, thank you so much for the money that you sent, he's saying, I thank God. He recognizes God's activity. It was God who stirred in the church to want to support 
right? It's God who makes us want to um, fulfill his purposes here on earth. The focus is on the Lord, and he recognizes and he prays with joy. God built that relationship, that partnership. That, too, was a work of the Holy Spirit, and he caused them to want to be loyal, ongoingly supportive of the mission that Paul had been on. It's God who started and will complete the ministry. Scripture says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's a couple of pictures to remind us of what we learned from Acts. How did this church in Philippi get started? Well, first of all, Paul wasn't planning to go over there. He wanted to go somewhere else, and there was a vision. And he saw a man in Macedonia. And so he got up right away. So it was the Lord that started this church because he called the planter to go to Macedonia. And Philippi was one of the first cities there between this mountain range. It was kind of a flat area, so a major thoroughfare from the east to the west. And so here Paul goes. And what does he find on the Sabbath? They go outside of town. They go by the river. And here's a group of women praying. And so the Lord had stirred in a group of women to come out and pray. And so that was the Lord beginning that good work. And Lydia, one who sold purple cloth, she was one of the first converts in her whole household converted. She was a prominent businesswoman. Her whole household converted to Christianity. Well, then what happened? Then um, there was a um, young girl that was fortune-telling. And it was driving them nuts. And finally, one day, he cast the demon out. And then that girl became a Christian. Well, the people that owned that girl, because she was a slave, didn't appreciate that. And they had Paul and Silas thrown in prison. They're experiencing the joy of the Lord. They don't know what's going to happen. But he who begins a good work will bring it to completion. And Paul and Silas lived out this value. They were singing praises in stocks and in chains, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and the Lord opened up those chains, and then the jailer was so distraught because it was his business to guard them, and he was ready to um, self-harm. And Paul says no. And so the jailer and his whole family come to know the grace and the love of Jesus. They didn't run off and abandon and leave that guy to have to answer for where did the prisoners go. And because of their love and because of the way they represented the kingdom of God, the Lord started this church. Do you see how he started it? Well, if he cared that much for people that were rebels and against his kingdom, that he would go and deliver them and save them and give them the hope of Jesus Christ, is he going to drop them like a hot potato a little bit later after they start on their journey? No, it's just not logical. God would not drop them. And so there's this commitment that the Lord will start and bring to completion. All right, so that gives you joy, doesn't it? It gives you joy when you hear that story. And then he goes on and he talks about the affection and love of Christ. It's God's work in and through Paul. He says in verses 7 and 8, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify for how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
He longs for them. This is, Philippians is a, sto- a letter, it's a love story, really, of his love for those that he's been mentoring and he planted that church. One commentator said it this way. It could be said, did I speak of having you in my own heart? Or should rather have said that in the heart of Christ Jesus, I long for you. When we're so in union with God that he's in us and we're in him, what's on God's heart, the Father's heart, is on Jesus' heart, is on the Spirit's heart, the Holy Spirit's in us, we're in him. And so what's on God's heart? We long. Paul longs for them with the affection of Jesus Christ, with that agape love that we studied last week. So there's this incredible love that comes from our union with God that we have for one another. There are strong bonds in that partnership of the gospel. And this was such a strong bond that some people think that this letter was written from Rome, which was a six-month travel back and forth. Some people think this was written in Ephesus, which is about a week's travel. But either way, every time the church was showing their support and sending, like we're going to send a check over to Matthew's house for that special offering, that's going to go a few blocks away. All right? These people had to carry their offering a week maybe even a six-month journey to show their support back and forth. So there was this strong, committed love, and they were blessing one another. And it was a great, great source of joy for Paul. These are a few pictures from the classes meeting the honor reported on. There is such a strong bond of love among our classes because our classes has prayed for our church, this mission, that's been trying to establish since 1929. That's why they, I was surprised. They said, could we stop and before you go sit down, we'd like to pray. And then they break out in the doxology. And it was just such a sweet, you're nodding. It was, it was such a sweet and tender time. And afterwards we had people that came and told us, oh, I have memories of being a little boy and my grandpa did pulpit supply at your church back in the 60s. And he goes, I remember that. I've talked with people over the years that were out in um, Hudsonville, and their church sent workers for the youth group at one time down here. And they have strong memories and a bond of love because they've invested, they've cared about, and we care about them. And so even as we think about establishing, we have these bonds of love. We want to have a party and some sort of celebration to honor those when it's time for us to actually officially have that day, we want to be able to celebrate those people who have had these bonds of support and love for us. There are people, we, we give our offerings for the general fund. We also have individuals from outside the church that continue to support this church. We have individuals and we have churches that support Mark and Andrew in their positions there's bonds of love, and we're showing that sometimes it's the, your heart is kind of shown by where your money goes, right? And so people are investing not only their money, but their time, their talent, their treasures in the ministries of this church. And it's how that um, we see that we all need each other. We're a part of the body of Christ, 
and a broader body of Christ, that we need each other, we support, and we look forward to the day that we, we already are supporting some missionaries and some ministries, but we look forward to the time that the Lord will even expand our opportunities to um, pray and support. But you know, sometimes when you've got these strong bonds of relationship, there's, it, it isn't, um, oftentimes the things that stress that relationship aren't so much um, obvious sin. That, that would be something that we would recognize, things that would come against a relationship. Oftentimes it's things like, what's the better approach? You know, if we're going to try to reach the neighborhood, would the better approach be this or that? You know, would the better Bible study be this or that? Or whatever it would be. But sometimes it, it's nuanced. And so that's why I believe Paul looks ahead and he already recognizes a little bit that there's a little bit of crack, a little bit of division, maybe just a little disunity getting started. And he wants, he um, moves ahead into this prayer in verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. All right, so he's praying for this abounding more and more love. We need to receive more and more love and recognize the love of God, and we need to be conduits of giving more and more love. We also need to pray for more and more knowledge and insight as well as discernment. That knowledge is to know God and know his ways, and then that discernment is to know how to live rightly to know how to apply the doctrine that we're learning. And so what Paul does is he prays for a balance between knowledge and discernment. So, um, for example, if that's out of balance, say you went to law school and you understood law and the judicial system, but you didn't know how to apply it in the courtroom, you'd be out of balance. Or maybe you went to medical school and you understood pharmacology and you understood Um, pathophysiology and other um, aspects of science but you couldn't connect it to the patient sitting in your office and you couldn't figure out how to apply it that's why they have in school those case studies or you know those um, problems like in math they give you the the concepts and then you apply it to like a real bank account or something like that (laughs) right you have to be able to apply what you're learning and so just to have head knowledge without being able as a Christian to live it out What does love look like? If my love is going to abound more and more, what does it look like that I really love Marty? What does that look like? What does it look like for the church to really love each other and to love those that they're on mission to share the love of Christ with? So he prays for discernment. It's trying to figure out what is best, what is God saying to do in this situation. It's a prayer that's great to pray anytime particularly praying this prayer for yourself and also for those that are partners in the gospel. Joy is a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it comes from relationship. And so joy comes as we live a life that's oriented towards God. And so remember that greeting, grace and peace. Remembering that we're in relationship, we can ask the Lord for grace and peace. In every situation, living a life of gratitude, 
remembering those things that we can thank the Lord for and giving him thanks every day. It helps to stir up joy in us to remember that we have a good God who's giving good gifts. Just like, um, Dane, as you prayed about um, actually the passage that Ben had read this morning, remembering God gave us garments of salvation. He took off our rags that were filthy, and he's, he's taken us out of the pit, remembering the goodness of God and thanking him for the goodness, his goodness in our lives, living lives of gratitude, trusting God to complete what he starts. I mean, we don't have to get worried. Even when we read statistics that say the church in um, areas is in decline, Do we look at that with pessimism or do we look at it with optimism and say, well, then the Lord must want to make some changes or do something different, but he's in control and he loves his church and what he starts, he's going to bring to completion. So we pray for that completion of his work and we pray with optimism. We pray with agape love that always is expecting the best. Remember that from last week? Always expecting the best, trusting God to complete what he starts We um, are actively partnering in the gospel. That's another way to live a life of joy. Paul wasn't just sitting around. Well, actually, when he wrote this letter, he was sitting around in jail. But he had been active, and and so even while he's sitting, he's active. He's sharing the gospel with his jailers, and we'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. But part of living a life of joy is staying on focus, remembering that we're servants of God. We're praying and pursuing the knowledge of God in every situation. How do we live a life of joy? Well, we need to live a life of unity. How do we live a life of unity? We go to God's word and say, oh, forgive each other. And then we apply it. See, we've got doctrines. We apply them. But we need God's spirit to help us to know how to live this life. And so we want to live a life of joy. We live it abiding in the vine, being in his word, being in prayer, being in his presence, focus on Jesus. Right living brings glory to God, and that's our hope, and that's our purpose, is to enjoy him and to bring glory to him. This morning I was um, scrolling through my Facebook feed early this morning, and I saw a post from um, some friends of ours, Tony and Sue Hinojosa. It was from Sue. They're from Madison Square at the Ford, the church we used to go to. And anyway, <clears throat> Sue put a post on early, early this morning. And she said, what better time to update than now when I'm wide awake laying next to the man I love, trying to comfort him as he continues to get sick from his chemo treatment on Thursday. This is our reality running for more bags, dipping through cupboards at 1.30, hoping to find more Tums to help settle his stomach, only to find that kids' Pepto-Bismol helps just as well, wanting to figure out any way to make him feel better, praying today he'll turn the corner and get out of bed. Most days I would tell you it's not fear and that I'm angry for everything we're going through. Some days I struggle with where my wife role ends and my caregiver begins. Other maybe the other way around. Yet there is peace that is in our midst that God has a plan in all this. Somehow we will see the silver lining, but until then, we trust. Friends, this is joy in the midst of suffering. Paul was sitting in chains, and yet he's praying 
thanking God, full of joy. How do you live a life of joy? You live it in trust, in focus on the Lord, that his purposes are good, that what he starts he's going to bring to completion. You don't deny the reality. Paul didn't deny that he was in chains. Sue doesn't deny that there's cancer going on. It's not a, you know, ignore that and I'm I'm just going to put on the happy face this morning. I think actually that happy song is kind of a little bit of that. I'm so happy. You know, I mean, it's a little bit like uh, just name it and claim it kind of thing. Joy. Joy is saying this stinks. This is really, really a difficult circumstance. But God is with me in it. He's going to give me grace to go through it. I don't know exactly what you've been going through with your infection and so forth with your blood. But, Tommy, you've been given grace to believe in Jesus. Now, he's calling you to live a pure and a blameless life. And so there's a prayer to pray, Lord, help me to live a pure and blameless life. Help me to know you more and help me to trust you more. There is joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. I'm just picking on Tommy because he happens to be in the front row, but that's not a deterrent from encouraging all of you to sit closer. (laughs) But, all right, all right? But that's just a real-life circumstance that he prayed about. And so how do we apply, how do we take this doctrine and apply it? How How does Sue, as a wife, apply this so that she can live a life of joy in the midst of a really, really difficult circumstance? She puts her trust in the one who started a good work in her and Tony. If you would only have the privilege of knowing their stories of transformation, of having lives taken out of the pit and put on the path of righteousness. And now they're walking in a way that even when these circumstances are difficult, their lives are a witness and a testimony. Who gets up and writes these things on Facebook, you know, A Christian's testimony is amazing. Wherever we give it and however we get to share the good news. There are things in life that are going to jolt us and circumstances will come along that attempt to crack the egg or rob the joy. The book of Philippians. Some people wonder, is this just a letter of thanks, an expression of love and friendship? Is this a letter of deep theology? And I'd say, if you ever knew a mentor or a teacher, you know that they always are wanting to teach and train you everything. You know, it kind of sometimes drives you crazy a little bit because (laughs) I'm just looking at somebody I mentor over here. You know, it's like everything has to be a training opportunity. You have to explain it all. Well, I think Paul starts out, and I think he wants to teach us. He wanted to teach them, and he wanted to teach us all about this life of joy. And so he's not going to waste a sentence or a word He's going to try to pack it all in. And so there's a lot to unpack in this beautiful little book. And so um, we're going to look at how he would show us a life of joy, knowing that we are loved, knowing that we look to the affections of Christ. Because Christ was living as a servant to his father. He was praying and he was living out with joy. He fixed his eyes with joy. He ran the race. He scorned the shame. He went to the cross. He didn't didn't sugarcoat that. We don't sugarcoat that. But what we say is 
that there was joy beyond that because we were going to be brought into this relationship with him. And he who begins a good work in each of us is going to carry it on to the day of completion. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can live in that same hope and that same joy that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not fix our eyes on circumstances that are temporary, but Lord, that we would fix our eyes on your love and on you, you who is eternal and unchanging and true. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.